Thank you so much. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me to bring God's word to you. It's such a pleasure to worship the Lord together with God's people, whether we're in North Central Jersey or Southern New Jersey or across the nation, that we are God's people brought together through the blood of Jesus, as we just sang. Um, Would you pray with me as we come to God through the scriptures? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you would open our eyes, that you would soften our heart, that you would speak to our soul. Help us not only to learn what you're trying to teach us, but to put into practice your powerful word. Thank you that you can change anyone and that you are changing us day by day to become more like our Savior Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. As we just heard from the Gospel of Mark, if you could turn with me to Mark chapter 8, we're going to start with that first paragraph where it says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged him to touch this man. Jesus took this blind man, and he spit on his eyes, put his hand over his eyes, and asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, and his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Out of all the miracles in the Gospels, we see that Jesus always heals them the first time. When someone is lame, he says, get up and walk. And they get up and they walk. Whenever he heals someone who's sick in bed, get up off the bed. They get up off the bed. Even when he raises people from the dead, that little girl, Talitha Kum, that young man in the town of Nain, the son of a widow, he says, rise. And they rise from the dead the first time. But only in this account, in the Gospel of Mark, does Jesus have to say and heal this man twice. And some people are like, did he not have enough spiritual mojo the first time? Did he forget to give a little bit more healing power onto this man's eyes? No. He's teaching us something about the kingdom. Listen to this passage where he places his hands on this man. And he experienced sight for the first time, kind of. And he says, I see people, but they look like they're walking around like trees. And then Jesus says, let me heal you. And he heals him. And then he sees clearly. Now, this is a very interesting and intriguing healing. And we wonder, what is this about? But whenever you read the Bible and you're not sure, you should keep reading. Because the context helps us understand the scriptures. So when we see this passage, we see that Jesus said to him after he healed him, don't go into the village. Don't go into the village. I was blind, but now I can see. I want to tell everybody. I want to tell my friends. I want to tell my family. I want to tell my neighbors. But don't go into the village. Because often when people hear about a miracle, what do they want more? They want more miracles. They want to see the demonstration of God. They want to see the power of God. They want to see the wrapping paper of the gift and not the gift itself. I know many of you have small children. I'm sure when they got this uh, amazing uh, video game, they were so excited, but if they're really small, they care more about the wrapping paper 
than the gift itself, do they not? And so many people who grew up in the church also like the wrapping paper of the gift that Jesus gives to us instead of appreciating the gift itself. And to understand what that gift is, we're going to go to the next paragraph, where it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. You know, Jesus is asking his disciples a very important question. Who do people think I am? And the people think that Jesus is some kind of prophet. He might be even John the Baptist, reincarnated, that he is Elijah. But he is not Elijah. He is not John the Baptist. Peter understands who Jesus is. Well, sort of. He says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Mashiach. You are the Messiah. You are the one that we've been waiting for. And once again, Jesus tells them something very odd in verse 30. He warns them not to tell anyone about him. Once again, why wouldn't you want to tell people that you're the Messiah? All the people of Israel have been waiting centuries and even millennia for the Messiah to come. But you're telling us not to tell people? Why, Jesus? Well, let's keep reading. Because God's words illumines our perspective. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, Jesus is shining light into the understanding of what the Messiah will do. And he's telling his disciples that the Messiah must suffer. He must be betrayed and rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, by the religious establishment. He must suffer and must even die. But then on the third day, he'll be raised again. And he spoke plainly to this to all the disciples. And what does Peter do? Does Peter say, Amen? No, he doesn't say Amen. He rebukes Jesus. Now, that's not a really good thing to do. You know, if you start saying, Jesus, you're wrong. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus, you don't know what you're doing. There's something wrong there. There's something wrong with Jesus. There's something wrong with us. And Jesus is helping us to see what's happening here. You know, Peter was much like many of the Israelites of his day. They were oppressed by the Romans. And before they were oppressed by the Romans, they were oppressed by the Greeks hundreds of years earlier. And before they were oppressed by the Greeks, they were oppressed by the Babylonians. And before they were oppressed by the Babylonians, they were oppressed 
by the Assyrians. They were a people of suffering, and they want a Messiah to throw off the yoke of their oppressors. They want a Messiah to come with power, with victory, to lead the people of God into a new enlightened stage. And you know what? Peter and James and John, they wanted to be in positions of power. Do you remember what James and John asked Jesus in the Gospels? He said, Lord, when you come into your glory, can one of us sit on your right hand and the other one sit on your left hand? And the other disciples were indignant. Not because they asked such a bold request, because they didn't think of it first. They were upset because they wanted to be on the right side of Jesus. They wanted to be on the left side of Jesus because they wanted to have prestige. They wanted to have power. You know, the reason why Peter rebuked Jesus is that, Jesus, you can't die. You're the Messiah. You're going to lead us into victory. You're going to bring your dominion and power in the kingdom of God. You shall never die. And what did Jesus do to Peter? He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Now that's a pretty strong rebuke. When Jesus says to you, get behind me, Satan, that's, you know, we should have our ears open and our eyes open. What does he mean by that? Brothers and sisters, this passage teaches us that the spiritual enemy can influence the way even believers think. The way believers see. The way the believers speak. You know, it's amazing how even in the church you will see some people when they are bitter or angry or upset for a long, long time, they fulfill what Ephesians 4 says, that you give the devil a foothold. You give the devil a ground and you stir up that bitterness, you stir up that anger, you stir up that resentment, and you start seeing people in a different light. And you start thinking about people in a different light. You know, some of you have spent a lot of time with your in-laws over the last week or so. And some of you are thinking, they're my outlaws. They're not my in-laws. <laughs> and Jesus may be saying to you, get behind me, Satan. Because you've allowed anger and bitterness to cloud your vision. You see them through the lens of your hurt and your pain. And Jesus is saying, see them through the lens of the cross. And when you see them through the lens of the cross, you will see them differently but you also will see yourself differently. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the triumphant king, but he's also the suffering servant. And he calls you to follow him. You know, a lot of times people worship God, not because he's our heavenly father, but we want God to be our sugar daddy. No, really. A lot of people worship God because they want good stuff from God. Lord, I want a better job. Lord, I want my kids to behave. Lord, I want to have this nice house, so I'm going to tithe. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray because I want these things from you. Do you know anyone like that? I think most people who go to church don't want to follow God as Heavenly Father. They want to follow Him as their sugar daddy. But he's not a sugar daddy. He's our Heavenly Father. He's our God. You know, when I was growing up in my uh, Korean church in Philadelphia, a lot of times the first generation would say that uh, they would, uh, they love jijutsu. 
you know, G-Justice is a Korean-American way of saying Jesus. And, you know, they would say, G-Justice is so great. G-Justice is so awesome. And I think many people, we don't really worship G-Justice. We worship Genesis. Genesis is that, Lord, I want my three wishes answered. Lord, I'm going to shine this lamp, and I want my blood. I want to get into Harvard, Lord. I want this job, Lord. I want this spouse, Lord. And you're rubbing that lamp through your religious exercises. You're not worshiping Jesus. You're worshiping Jesus. And he's not a genie. He's Jesus. Brothers and sisters, some of you are frustrated with God right now because he's not giving you what you want. Some of you single people, you want a spouse. Some of you married people want to be single. (laughs) He's not giving you what you want because he is Jesus. He knows what you need. Some of you high school seniors won't go into the college that you want to go into, but you'll go into the college that God wants you to go. Some of you want to get a job in 2020 that's different from your current job, and you will not get it. Why? Because God's ways are above our ways. God's thoughts are above our thoughts. But the question is, do you trust him enough to say, Lord, I will follow you, even if it means suffering, even if it means disappointment, even if it means pain. He is God. He knows your suffering. He knows your loneliness. He knows your disappointment. He knows your frustration. And He lifts you up. He wants to be your comfort. He wants to be your security. He wants to be your identity. And the reason why you are so frustrated in your relationship with God The reason why you are so frustrated with your kids, the reason why you're so frustrated with your parents, is because you're not getting what you want. But he's trying to show you that's the problem. It's not about what we want. It's about what he wants. And are we willing to listen to what he says? Are we willing to see Jesus in 2020? Not just in the year 2020, but 20 slash 20. Do you see Jesus in 2020? Or do you see him as your sugar daddy? Give me what I want. God wants to speak to you today. He's trying to tell you that the reason why you're so frustrated with your life, the reason why you were disappointed, is because you have not yet died to yourself. You have not yet let go. Let's look at that last paragraph. Because once again, these passages get progressively clearer. We understand why now he tells his disciples not to tell people he's a Messiah because they will want to make him king. They will want him to lead their people into victory over the Romans, but that's not why he came. He came to defeat sin, death, and even Satan himself. He's come to free you from even your desires. Your desires are often good, but they're often not. And our problem why we're so angry, the reason why we're so frustrated, the reason why we're so disappointed with our life is we're still holding on. And Jesus gives us the key to see how to live in, in and with him. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
Take up the cross and follow me. If anyone wants to be a true Christian, he doesn't say have perfect church attendance, though that's helpful. He doesn't say tithe, which is also helpful. He says, if anyone would want to be a true disciple, a real believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, they must deny themselves, take up the cross, and then begin to follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you know what it means to deny yourself? Do you? I think some of you have been maybe doing that intermittent fasting, trying to lose some weight over the holidays, even though you kind of probably gained a few pounds. And you're like, wow, I'm not going to eat for 12 hours. I'm not going to eat for 50. And some of you find that really tough. And that's okay. That's, that's a good start. And, you know, I think it's, it's good to be healthy. But denying yourself is a lot more than just abstaining from things. It's saying, Lord, not my life. It's your life. Not what I want, but what you want. Help me to live for you. It's dying to yourself. Brothers and sisters, are you willing to let go your life to the Lord? You know, those of you who are single, I know, it's, it's a great thing. And, and the Bible says when you find a spouse, you find a good thing. You find a blessing from God. And some of you want to be married more than you want Jesus. Some of you feel this call to the mission field. But you're like, well, Lord, let me get married first and then I'll serve you. Well, Jesus has something to say about people who want to say goodbye to their family and let them even um, do things of putting other people ahead of him. And that is correcting them and showing them it's not about what we want, but it's about what he wants. We must deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. It doesn't just mean suffering, because you know, a lot of times we say, you know, my spouse is my cross to bear, or my child is my cross to bear. That's not what it means. To take up your cross means to go on death row. To take up your cross is that you are preparing to die, that your life is not your own, that you were bought with a price, and that you belong to Jesus. And he wants to heal you. He wants you to see him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to love him and to delight, saying, Lord, anything that I have, you can have. And if you're single and you think that you need to be married to be complete, that you're only going to be whole when you are married, the Bible is very clear. If you're not satisfied and fulfilled in Jesus as a single person, you will not be satisfied and fulfilled as a married person. Jesus is your first love. Jesus is your ultimate spouse. And when you love him, you can begin to love your spouse the way Jesus loves you. And some of you are like, that's my cross to bear, but it's more than your cross to bear. It's the way Jesus is going to bring his resurrection power into your life. Listen, brothers and sisters, there could be no resurrection without first the death. There could be no Easter Sunday without that Good Friday. And some of you want that power of the resurrection, but you don't want to fellowship with Jesus in suffering. Listen, 95% of you will get married at some time. 19 out of 20 people, that's the statistics and sociology. Well, that means 5% won't, but I'm sure 95% of you will be married at one time, and you'll realize that marriage is a great thing, but it's also a hard thing. 
And God is teaching you to trust Him and follow Him every single day. Those of you who are parents, some of you who are parents, you say, well, I'm going to deny myself. I think being a parent by definition is denying yourself, putting your children ahead of yourself. But do you ever put your children ahead of Jesus? You know, in northern New Jersey, I think it's probably true in this area as well, a lot of dedicated Christian parents will pull their kids out of church for six weeks to send them to SAT class. You know that SAT class? Those hagwans, you know, they're from the devil. Right, I know you guys are saying amen in your heart. Don't say it out loud. Your parents will see you. But, you know, some dedicated Christian parents will tempt their kids out of church for six Sundays or longer just so that they can improve 100 points on the SATs? Really? Some parents will take their kids out for three months because they're competing in that sport at that level and they need to miss church 12 weeks in a row. Are you putting sports or academics ahead of your child's well-being? Do you wonder why 90% of kids who grew up in youth group stop going to church as young adults in college? Because we taught them that school is more important than Jesus. We taught them that skiing is more important than Jesus. God is saying that He is the Lord of life. And when we know and love Him, we will excel the way He wants us to excel at sports. We'll excel the way He wants to excel in school. But we have to trust Him and say, Lord, You know our hearts. You know that I find my identity in how well my kids go to school and how many people praise them of how wonderful and great parent I am because they're so well behaved. That's idolatry, parents. And Jesus says, you must die to yourself. Listen, he goes on. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. The only way to receive salvation is that you have to let go of your life. The only way you're going to receive the life that Jesus wants for you is you have to first let go of your life the way you want it. Because you can't have your life and have Jesus' life too. He's not a genie who will kind of just help you to get into the Ivy League school. He'll get you to the school he wants you to go to. He'll lead you to the job he wants you to have. He'll lead you to the spouse he wants you to have. But you have to be willing to say, not my will, but your will be done. And honestly, for most churchgoers, they don't want to pray that prayer. They don't want to let go of their life. They're afraid. Well, what if Jesus doesn't give me a spouse? Well, then that's what we need. And that's what's best. What happens if Jesus doesn't give us biological children? Well, maybe he wants you to adopt. You should pray about what God wants before what you want. And when you begin to do so, your life will change from the inside out. He'll begin to show you things. He'll begin to open your heart to what God is doing in this broken world through people like you who really love Him and are seeking His purpose in their life. But the only way you're going to find your life is if you lose it. The only way you're going to save your life is if you let go of what you want and receive the life that Jesus wants for you. Brothers and sisters, some of you are struggling right now. You're struggling financially. You're struggling emotionally. 
Some of you college students are struggling academically, and some of you are struggling professionally. But these are all things that God is trying to show you that you are still trying to be in control. And you need to let go. And say, Lord, you came to die for a sinner like me. I was once blind, but now I can see. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I want to pray about my major. I want to pray about my job. I want to pray about my children, that they would not go into the you know, profession that I want them to go into, but they would go into the profession that God would want them to go into. And when you start living that way and praying that way and encouraging your family and your friends to see who Jesus is, you will change. It says very clearly in verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Brothers and sisters, I can tell you there are many people who think they'll be with God in heaven. And they might have taught Sunday school classes. They might have gone on missions trips. But they'll be like the people in in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus will say to them on the last day, they'll come to Jesus and say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles in your name? And you know what Jesus will say to them on that last day? I never knew you. Yes, you know about the power in Jesus' name, but you never knew me because you never trusted me. You never let go. You never released your desires and you didn't hold on to my desire for you. Brothers and sisters, 2020 can be an amazing year for many of you. But you have to let go. And saying, Lord, I have tried to manipulate you to get what I wanted. Lord, I tried to rub that lamp and say, I want this, I want that. And if your prayers are 80% or 90% of what you want, you're not praying. You're giving Jesus a Santa list. I've been, I've been good, Jesus. Please give me what I want. He doesn't operate that way. He wants to show you that he is the Messiah. He is the one who's come to set us free from even our sinful desires, from my idolatry. And it's painful. It hurts. Especially if you're a single person and you want to be married. Are you really going to say, Lord, even if I don't get married, I am fulfilled in you? When you start praying that way, you have peace in your heart that comes from Jesus, not Jesus. You know, when my younger daughter, Penelope, was about 10, 11 years old, she got introduced to fencing from a good friend of ours who was a very uh, good fencer in the state and went on to be nationally ranked. So uh, we got her exposed to fencing, and she did really well. And within like a couple months, she was fencing people who were like 13, 14, 15 years old, even though she was only 10, 11 years old. And, you know, of course, the instructor said, you know, if you went to further training and you went to these meets, you know, she could be nationally ranked by the time she's like 14, 15. And, you know, I'm just thinking, wow, they can go to a great school. They can go to elite university with fencing. And he tells me all the meets are on Sunday. And, you know, especially as a pastor, um, it, was, it was honestly very hard to let go of that, what I think is the way to a great university. And Jesus is saying, trust me. Follow me. And even though there's a part of me that says, this is a great way, Lord. Scholarship, I don't have to pay. But... 
Jesus knows best. And I said, I'm sorry. And I pulled her out of fencing. Now Penelope's 15 years old. She's a sophomore at Bergen County Academies, which some of you are graduates of. And she's on the fencing team. She's not nationally ranked, but she's on the varsity team. She's doing well. She's learning teamwork. She's learning leadership. She's not going to get recruited for fencing, but she enjoys that. And that's far better than getting recruited for a sport. Brothers and sisters, I know many people who sacrifice greatly to get their children to an elite university. They've worked hard and, and just tortured them through hagwan after hagwan to get that even 1,600 on SATs, to write that perfect essay, to get into Harvard, to only have a mental breakdown. There are so many children who have a, such a bad relationship with their parents, who have these emotional and mental breakdowns because of the pressure they're in. Some of you kids know that pressure you're under right now. But that pressure is because of sinful desires, both in your parents and in your own heart. You can even tell your parents today, you know, Pastor Jim said, stop pushing me. (laughs) Pray for me. That's a good word. Don't push me. Pray for me. To say that in love. That's okay to say to your parents, please stop pushing me, but pray for me. What kind of generation are you parents raising in this church? People who love Jesus are people who love sports more than Jesus. It's okay to be an Eagles fan, by the way. Fly, Eagles, fly. But it's more important to love Jesus far more than when their Super Bowl victory. Honestly, when they won a couple years ago, being a Philadelphia fan, um, it, was, it was hilarious. And people were like, oh, I can finally die now that the Eagles won a Super Bowl. I mean, that's a little dramatic, but honestly, some people really mean that. But if that's how we feel about sports... How much more should we feel about Jesus? How much more? You know, we spend hours and hours on fantasy football, but how many hours do we spend reading the Bible? Not many. When we say, Lord, you are more important than fantasy football. Lord, you're more important than dance classes for my daughters. You are the love of my life. You can even say you're more important than my spouse. Don't neglect your spouse. Love your spouse through Jesus' love. But when you do that, you'll start seeing more clearly. You know, some of you are like that blind man at the beginning of this passage. You kind of see who Jesus is. You kind of see what Christian community should be, but you don't see clearly. You need Jesus to place his hands on you and heal you. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you uh, this afternoon, if you want to come, uh, after the end of the service, I ask the leaders if it's okay, that I'm just going to pray for different people who want to just receive prayer. Some of you children are estranged from your parents. Some of you parents are estranged from your children. Some of you have a totally cantankerous boss and you're just like wishing they get hit by a bus over this holiday. That's not good. That's like giving the devil a foothold into your heart. If you feel that way about your boss, if you feel that way about your family, just come and pray. You can pray silently or you can receive prayer for myself or maybe a couple elders can come up here and pray as well for you. But I know that you want to be a church that practices what the Bible teaches. And that is that we are to speak the truth in love, that we're all sinners, that we're all blind. We all want our kids to get to a great school, but not by our way, but by his way. And only through his life, death, and resurrection can we let go of our idolatry. 
Can we let go of our identity? Can we let go of our financial security? Can we let go of the reputation that we're seeking from our peers? And saying, Jesus, you are my all in all. You satisfy me. You are the love of my life. And when he comes into your heart, he will fulfill you from the inside. And you'll begin to walk with him and follow him each and every day. I pray that 2020, you will see Jesus clearly. And you will follow him, knowing that through death to yourself comes resurrection in Jesus' life. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, thank you for loving us when we did not deserve it. Thank you for showing us who you are. Thank you for revealing yourself as the Messiah who is not only the triumphant king, but also the suffering servant who lived the life we should have lived and then died the death that we should, should have died. But through your life, death, and resurrection, we've come to know you, our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, that you are not a sugar daddy that just gives us what we want, but you are a God who understands our struggles, understands our pain, understands our disappointments, so that we could come to know you in the fullness of who you are by letting go of our sinful desires and holding on to your will. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we have the opportunity to taste God's goodness, to experience his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us, so that we could be washed in his grace 